Hello and welcome to ESG Matters at Ashurst. My name is Alison Elliott and I'm counsel in the Ashurst Pro Bono team based in Sydney, Australia. Co-hosting this podcast today is my colleague Emma Manimbi, who is a lawyer and a pro bono consultant. Emma co-manages the Ashurst Pacific Islands pro bono practice from our Port Moresby office in Papua New Guinea. Hi, Emma. Hi, Alison. Thank you for the lovely introduction. I'm really looking forward to this podcast. So let's get to it. In Australia, we acknowledge at the start of meetings and gatherings that we are meeting on the country of First Nations people who are part of the oldest continuous living civilization on earth and who never ceded sovereignty. I would like to pay my respect and acknowledge the traditional custodians of Dharawal country, the land from which I'm joining this meeting today. I would like to pay my respect to elders both past and present and to all First Nations people present today. We are delighted to host this special episode of ESG Matters to mark 25 November, the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women 2022 and the 16 days of activism that follow. The theme for this year is Unite, Activism to End Violence Against Women and Girls. In support of this theme, This special episode seeks to raise awareness about the important work being done at the community level to address violence against women and girls. As of 2018, one in three women globally will experience physical or sexual violence during their lifetime, mostly by an intimate partner. Gender-based violence includes physical, sexual, psychological, emotional, and economic violence perpetrated mainly by men against women and girls. The drivers behind gender-based violence include poverty, gender inequality and patriarchal structures, stereotypes and gender roles, heteronormativity, cisnormativity, ableism, classism, racism, and the ongoing impact of colonisation. Emma, over to you. Gender-based violence is a complex issue and its elimination requires multifaceted approaches. We are privileged to welcome to this podcast representatives working to help eliminate violence against women and girls in different ways and in different parts of the world. We have Cindy Torrens, who's the manager of the Through Care team at the North Australian Aboriginal Justice Agency, NAJA, in the Northern Territory, Australia. The NAJA Through Care team supports prisoners transitioning from prison to living back in the community with casework, behavioral change programs, and safety planning to prevent reoffending. And finally, We have Sean Callaghan, who is the research lead at the Orchard Project in London, United Kingdom. Orchard Project conducts research into female genital cutting and provides data to frontline organizations working to eliminate this practice. Now let's start with Cindy from NAJA. Could you please tell us more about the aims of NAJA's through care and Congress programs and what activities they involve? Sure. Um, not just through care programs of voluntary service, providing strength-based case management support to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men, women and children um, in prison or in detention in the Northern Territory. The key aim of the program is to reduce recidivism and keep communities safe. Um, not just through care started in 2009 um, and in 2018-19 extended down into Central Australia to incorporate the Congress Stopping Violence Program and another through care office which regionalise the service to ensure equal access to pre and post release support for Aboriginal people across the Northern Territory. This ensured consistent service delivery 
to people moving between the Northern Territory's prison and youth justice systems. The Kungus Stopping Violence program is a little bit different to the, to the main through care program in that it delivers a, a, um, a four week course to incarcerated women at the, um, at the Alice Springs Correctional Centre. In this course, um, women are allowed to build trust and gain insight, skills and confidence um, through the delivery of a trauma-informed trauma violence prevention model, which was initially developed by Professor Judy Atkinson in consultation with the Kunga Stopping Violence Program. As at 2019, that program or that course within the Alice Springs Correctional Centre is delivered solely by Aboriginal women. The ORCID project conducts research into female genital cutting practice globally. Sean, could you tell us a bit about how and where female genital cutting is practiced? Thanks, Alison. Um, the key to the research um, is the fact that FGM is not uniform. Um, it takes uh, several different forms, uh, which WHO categorize into four different types. And uh, it happens at various different ages from just after birth in places like Indonesia and Nigeria, all the way through to mid to late teens in places like Tanzania and Kenya. Uh, it's, it's estimated that about 200 million women and girls are living with FGM globally. Some of those live in countries with really high prevalence rates like Somalia or Egypt or the ethnic Malay community across Southeast Asia, where almost all girls are cut. And Others live in countries where it's much lower prevalence, but huge populations like Nigeria, Indonesia, and Ethiopia. FGM is also um, prevalent in migrant populations around the world with uh, significant numbers in the Middle East, Europe, and the US, for example, where more than half a million women are affected. In fact, the, uh, the research shows that FGM affects communities in over 90 countries around the world. And what sort of data do you collect and who uses this data? We curate two types of data. Situational data, our country reports uh, bring together data like prevalence and age of cutting and type of cutting, geographic distribution, etc. But we also create so, so what data. Um, we're looking at trends in the prevalence and combining that with population growth data noting shifts in age and type of cutting, exploring why communities cut, what beliefs underpin the practice in a particular community, what policies and programming is working to shift that practice, and also document the legal uh, and legislative frameworks in a particular country and how those can most effectively be applied to the practice. That data is used by local organizations and activists, as well as global NGOs and donors and governments to guide and inform the interventions. Uh, Cindy, how do you see the Congress and through care programs uh, working towards eliminating violence against women and the communities in which you work? So the, the job of the Kungas and, and the through care programs in the Northern Territory are delivering pre and post release case management support. So the first part of our work commences in the pre-release phase. So two of our um, case managers in the top end are domestic violence or DV specific case managers. So the work that they do, they actually sit, sit alongside participants and co-facilitate a psychoeducational program within the Darwin Correctional Centre. The importance of that is that we've, um, we're able to, to learn what our clients are learning. Um, a lot of the people that we work with 
have very limited numeracy and literacy skills. So we have to start from the start in supporting the Aboriginal people that we do in making sure that they are able to understand some of the things that we are um, we are wanting to make relevant to life back in community. Anybody can sit through a prison-based program, but making it relevant to real-life situations outside of the prison in a post-release situation is imperative in working with, with people who have offences relating to violence. So the way that we work with people in this space is, is supporting them pre-release, but that process, that phase of our work also allows us to engage with, with family and community back home prior to them coming back home from prison. So that gives us the opportunity to see where they intend to return to, um, whether or not they're actually welcome there, and how we mitigate risk um, of, of somebody returning to community, especially if they've been in jail for a long time. Um, you know, a lot of cases, they've, they've been um, sentenced to periods for over you know, longer than six months, which means that their their offending is is at the at the more serious end of of the scale in terms of of violent offending. So um, so yeah, we need to see where they're going back to, if they're welcome, and what we can do to to address any risk. And a lot of the communities that our our people are going back to are very remote, which means that we have to um, sometimes. Um, identify what supports are available to them where, where mainstream services don't exist. So um, the other thing with a lot of the folks that we support are going back to communities where, where there's not a full-time police presence, where there's no safe housing for, for women to, to stay safe. So our work in that space is around how we, um, how we address safety. You know, we, we also live in a tropical climate, so most of the year or you know four to six months of the year we're in affected by the weather a lot of the communities are cut off in that period of time so we have to ensure that that there are plans in place as to how someone's going to keep themselves safe in the absence of a, an immediate police presence so that might be um, relying on family who are able to keep somebody safe um, talking to them about you know, whether or not there's locks on doors, if they've got credit in phones, if they've got adequate mobile coverage, all of those really important things that a lot of a lot of folks don't necessarily think about when they're planning for situations like this. A lot of the folks that we support also are um, defendants in domestic violence orders. So making sure that the people that we, we work or engage with understand what the what the rules are of that order and how long that, that order is in force. So ensuring that they understand the consequences of breaching those orders as well. So, um, so helping them to work out um, strategies, I guess, to avoid breaching any of those orders and where they might be able to go locally for some support. It might be talking to a family member. It might mean, you know, de-escalating in, in going for a walk around the block. But, you know, things like that are really, really important in, in encouraging people to think about how they de-escalate themselves in the absence of supports or in the absence of police and keeping at the forefront of their minds in how they, they what their responsibility is in keeping community safe and keeping women and children safe. Thank you, Cindy. That sounds like very important and practical work. We would now like to hear from each of our speakers on what you each see as the biggest barrier to ending violence against women in the work that you do. Cindy, can we start again with you? Sure. The biggest, um, the biggest 
gap in service that we have um, in the top end of the Northern Territory is the lack of culturally appropriate perpetrator or, or um, behaviour change programs. A culturally appropriate program does not exist in the top end. Central Australia have a, an excellent um, men's behavioural change program, which is run by Tungandjira Council. Um, and, any, and again, anybody can sit through a prison-based program, but these are uh, mainstream programs. They're five days in length. So there's not a whole lot that we can expect will come from those except for really basic strategies, which is what we need in terms of how we support people going back to community. They, they may be really, really basic strategies, but they're, they're what we've got to rely on at the moment and making those strategies applicable to, um, to the folks that we work with. And capacity building, individual capacity building is the way that I see us supporting people to reduce violence in that, you know, it's one person at a time. It's really, you know, that simple, I think, for us. And for you, Sean? Violence is so normal in so many societies. And um, we, we have to challenge the social norm. We have to challenge the gender norm. We have to challenge the, the denigration of women, um, you know, Bottom line, men have to change, society has to change. And until we do that, I, I just don't see a reduction. It's clear that there is so much work to do to end violence against women and girls. It would be great to hear from our speakers about what gives you hope in the work that you each do. Sean, what about you? I think two things for me. Um, when I see those norms changing, when I see people changing, and uh, and then the, the local partners, the amazing activists that uh, I get to work with, they're the people that give me hope. Thank you, Sean. And Cindy? The things that give me hope are our education, educating, educating the people that we work with about their own trauma and how that's affected them in their lives and to hopefully reduce the effects on, on their own children. Uh, the other thing that, I, that gives me absolute hope is that our program is voluntary, which means people work with us because they want to. And um, we, we work very much on a cycle of behavioural change. So we have that opportunity to engage as often as we need to. And we're there when somebody's ready to make a change in their lives. The beauty of the work that we do is, yeah, for me, it's the most important job in the world. You know, we get to see Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people at their absolute best when they're out of prison, back in community. We're so privileged to do this work and we, we get to see the most beautiful parts of the country. Um, in the work that we do in our pre-release work, and we're just so privileged. Thank you to all of our panellists today for your valuable contributions. What we've heard today is that eliminating gender-based violence is complex and multifaceted. Gender inequality and gender-based violence occurs in all communities globally and across all socioeconomic groups. Listening and learning about these issues is a crucial first step to get involved. You might also build the capacity of people managers in your organization to respond to gender-based violence or contact community organizations local to your businesses or home to find out about ways to get involved. Thanks, Emma. If you would like to find out more about any of the organizations we have featured on the panel today, check out the show notes to this podcast. And if you or anyone you know is experiencing family violence, you can contact organizations for support. These include in Australia, calling 1800RESPECT or 1800-737-732. In the UK, the National Domestic Abuse Helpline on 0808-2000-247. 
And a final thank you to our audience for listening to this edition of Ashurst's ESG Matters podcast. To hear more of Ashurst podcasts, please visit ashurst.com forward slash podcasts. And to ensure you don't miss future episodes, please feel free to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. While you're there, feel free to leave us a review or rating. Thanks very much for listening and goodbye for now. If you enjoy ESG Matters at Ashurst, why not check out our other two podcast series as well? Ashurst Business Agenda tackles the big strategic issues that business leaders face. And Ashurst Legal Outlook explains the emerging legal trends and requirements of our fast-changing world. You can listen and subscribe to Business Agenda and Legal Outlook wherever you get your podcasts.